0: My grandmother was born in 1934. She passed away earlier this year, on the 11th of August, 2021, which was also exactly my mother's birthday. I thought that was a pretty cruel thing, having your mother die on the day you're supposed to celebrate the day you came into being. It is somewhat poetic, but ultimately, it is cruel. Honestly old age is cruel. In the weeks following my grandmother's death, my mother pondered upon a lot of things. The things she had said to my grandmother that she couldn't take back, the many times she thought she had failed as a child, the things my grandmother had said to her, and the times she thought my grandmother failed as her mother. Time is irreversible, she thought. So all her thoughts, all her regrets, they were just in vain. My mother kept telling herself that it's alright. My grandmother was not dying from cancer or other horrible diseases, she was just rather immobile and she was also bedridden for three years. She thought, and I agreed with her, that it was the right time for her to go, surrounded by all her children, to leave this excruciatingly idle life that she had led in the last few years of her life. With that said, this episode is dedicated to my grandmother. I hope she rests in peace. This episode, let's reflect upon life at the end of the line and eventually, death. Hi Edgelings, this is Andy or Andrew, and you're listening, again, to edgy but like, make it gay? A rather cringy podcast where I talk about my edgy gay takes on things, either by myself or with friends. Slightly before I took the break from this podcast, as I've mentioned, my grandmother passed away. She was mostly there when my parents were not so my brother and I were quite close to her as she also lived with us. I watched her health deteriorate slowly but surely, so over time, I grew to pity her more and more. When you see life slowly going out of somebody else's eyes, it's very gut-wrenching. So let's talk about it, because one day... We will also be at the end of our hopefully long lives before making the final leap into death, the ultimate equalizer. When I was a kid, I thought that adults are so cool and limitless, I couldn't stop wishing to be an adult fast enough. That was presumably until I learned about the concept of death. I noticed that I had never met some people from this family tree that I had poorly made that one time, maybe when I was in kindergarten. I would ask my parents why I had never met them. And at first, their answer would be something like, one day, you'll meet them, but they're just away somewhere else for now. And at some point, they started introducing this point of no return called death. My first contact with this concept was probably upon learning the antonym of being born is to die. It was just another trivia that I learned that day. The opposite of born is die. But as I grew up, I slowly realized that everything eventually ends. The people around me would die one by one as new ones would be born. And it scared me. I learned that people would normally die when they're older, so naturally I thought that my grandparents would die first, then my parents, and eventually my friends who are older, and then me. It wasn't a thought that lingered for a very long time, but ever since I was young, I've always been scared of death, lesser with time. It's always this looming fear in the back of my head why are we constantly living when we will all ultimately die? The way that I see death now is perhaps a modified and a more nuanced version of my childhood perception of death. I fully accepted that death comes for all. The more I think about death, the more I also think about the moments leading up to one's death. It seems like it is a singular and individual experience that nobody else is privy to. Although I'm not actively working on this, Death is one of the reasons why I started dabbling in neuroscience. What happens after the heart and the brain stop working? How would you know that you would totally lose all senses and consciousness when you've been declared dead? What if humans experience death differently depending on how they feel when they die, like in near-death experiences? How do our brains perceive death? The list goes on and on. And scientists don't know the answers to some, if not all these questions, not to my knowledge at least. I think that most people cling onto the concept of a religious afterlife because the concept of death being a gateway to absolute nothingness is horrific. When talking about deaths that affect me, I would have to say that none other has affected me as hard as Setsuko's death. Setsuko was a four-year-old girl from the 1988 Studio Ghibli movie, Grave of the Fireflies. The movie, which is also my all-time favorite, is set in World War II Japan, and it tells the story about two siblings, older brother Seita and younger sister Setsuko. Even at the beginning of the movie, you would be able to see that both characters eventually die. The ambience fiery and red, with the opening scene depicting both Seita and Setsuko inside a train heading off somewhere far, presumably the afterlife. In contrast to most people nowadays who would die when they're old, I saw this innocent girl who lost both her parents to the war, growing up bit by bit, guided by her older brother who was just fourteen. Setsuko is this little girl with a bowl cut who really likes this brand of Japanese hard candy packaged inside a metal container. So whenever she or Seita walks around with it, you would hear the clinks and clanks that the hard candies would make as they bump against the walls of the container. Other than that, there was really no other way to describe her. She was just four. She was a blank slate. She was playful, I would say, just like how any other child would be, and she was content with whatever little she had. After their mother died from wounds from an air raid, she actually got piled up together with other dead bodies. Seita kept this piece of information from Setsuko and told Setsuko that their mother was recovering. The pair eventually lived with relatives who were not nice, and they bickered a lot, especially with their aunt, who said that they were just doing nothing and they were just depleting their food rations faster, some of which were actually purchased by Seita's and Setsuko's money. Seita and Setsuko eventually left their relatives and found this tiny bomb shelter by the river, which they eventually fashioned to become their new home. They would take baths in the river, and one night, Setsuko found a lot of fireflies by the river. So, Seita came up with this idea to grab lots of them and place them in a jar. Once the jar was full, Seita and Setsuko quickly came inside the shelter, closed off the bug net that they had previously placed as if it was the partition between their new home and the cruel world outside. And then, they released the fireflies inside their new sanctuary. The place quickly lit up as if it was a festival. The two looked at the twinkling and luminescent fireflies as if they were stars high up in the sky, something that they couldn't see all that much because of all the smoke produced from the air raids. They dozed off slowly and everything was peaceful. When morning came, Setsuko realized that All of the fireflies had died, and they were just surrounded by thousands and thousands of dead fireflies. She gathered their corpses, and she started to build a grave right by the river. When Seita asked Setsuko what she was doing, Setsuko said that she was building a grave, a grave of the fireflies. And then she told Seita that it was just a grave, just a grave like... The one that their mother was in. Seta lost his composure and Setsuko further explained that her aunt, without Seta's consent, told Setsuko that their mother was never coming back, that she had died. I don't know how the animators did it, but I could see all sense of hope was just gone from Setsuko's face when she told Seta all that. She then looked up at Seta and asked Why do fireflies have to die so soon? It wasn't a surprise that Setsuko's health deteriorated gradually. She was getting sicker and sicker. This child, who had just started living, was dying. Seita knew that he had to do something to save his sister, so he took her to the doctor. She was dying from a combination of unsanitary living conditions and... Malnutrition. Seta then decided that he would withdraw all the money from the bank and give Setsuko a healthy, nutritious meal. Setsuko, who found it hard to even open her eyes at the time, uh, she started crying. She told Seta that she didn't eat anything. She just didn't want Seta to leave her. So Seta promised that once he was done getting everything, he would never leave her side, ever. On the way to go to the bank, Seta found out that Japan had surrendered, and it dawned on him that their dad was also most likely dead. He quickly rushed back to his now last living family member, and uh, Setsuko was just lying on the floor inside the shelter. Her eyes now barely open. She was just in a state of delirium. After realizing that Seta was there, Setsuko grabbed a piece of rock and, uh, she offered it to Seita, telling him that she had made rice balls for him. And then Seita knew. He pulled out a watermelon from his bag, and then he cut up a tiny slice and placed it inside Setsuko's mouth. She just said it was delicious. Then Setsuko looked at at Seita, who was about to head outside and prepare food for her. So she just told Seita, Thank you," and that was the last thing she said, because she never woke up. I knew that, that death comes for us all, but watching Setsuko, who was just so pu- pure and innocent die at four years old, it, it hurts. Towards the end of the movie, the screen was just panning out to show the things that Setsuko did weeks prior to her death the image of Setsuko who had to be content with solitude because her brother had to go get money and food. I witnessed all that in this montage of Setsuko's final experiences. She cleaned the shelter, she played with her doll, she replenished the flowers that she had placed by the grave of the fireflies, all alone. She lived a Such a short life that was filled with idleness. Yet she was so happy and content. Because she was a child. She was just a child. So. Setsuko taught me. Death is equal. And because it is so. I will live not just for myself. But also for the people. Who have affected me throughout my lifetime. (laughs) And... As silly as this would sound, because she's literally an anime character. This list of people also includes Setsuko. Because Setsuko ultimately deserves better. After the break, remembering my grandmother, her life and her death. In contrast to Setsuko, my grandmother lived a long life, and I can only hope that, to her, it was a fulfilling one too. I have only heard it from her tales, but she told me that her ancestor presumably a Chinese trader, settled in Indonesia centuries ago. She also told me that even though she's Chinese Indonesian, her lineage is probably not the same as most Chinese Indonesians who migrated from China in the 1900s, for example, my dad's side of the family, and instead, she is of heavily mixed ancestry. Still mostly Chinese Indonesian, but also with some Javanese and also Dutch somewhere along the line. The mixing of ethnic groups is pretty rare in the community of Chinese Indonesians. And this is of course because not just xenophobia, but also perhaps the racism that is rampant and pervasive in Indonesia. So ethnic groups tend to actually stick together although the demographic is definitely more diverse now. When my grandmother was younger, she grew up learning not only English and Mandarin, but also Dutch as she attended a Dutch school growing up, but she never graduated high school. She then worked as a teacher, teaching English at the elementary school level, and that was until she met the man who eventually became her husband, my late grandfather passed away in 1990. He passed away from heart failure way before I was born, so I've never actually met him and I've only seen pictures of him. Upon getting married, my grandmother started opening up her own bakery, and from what I've heard, that business was short-lived, so soon after, she actually took the role of being a housewife. She gave birth to three children, the youngest being my mother. Remembering my grandmother, ever since I was old enough to form memories, I think that she was pretty active. And she had quite a number of friends who would meet up routinely for some aerobics and some physical exercise to, you know, just keep fit. She also worked for this company for quite some time with some of her friends. And I think that most of the things that they did... Um, included pushing this Japanese brand of supplement made from algae extracts. She also took care of my brother and I from time to time, whenever our parents were away, because she also lived in our house. At some point, when I was already in Germany, my brother actually asked me if we were close to our grandmother, and I was like, maybe 50-50 at first? yes she cooked and she also helped care for us sometimes even driving us to and from school and i thought that was enough for me to say that we were not that close but then again i also ignored the vacations that we took together and you know the many little things so i perhaps overlooked how close we were because i also haven't lived in that house for 10 years now i watched my grandmother who used to stay active, started losing physical attributes, as if old age was just chipping away her life slowly but surely. She would at first find it harder to stand up for long periods of time, and then she would find walking rather painful. She then started using walkers, and before long, she found herself unable to walk on her own, so she would have to use wheelchairs to get around. This was, of course, a physical burden that I'm sure she was feeling for a long period of time, because that also meant that she had to depend on other people just for her day-to-day life. Her routine for the past three years of her life just included her moving from her bed to the dining table to the toilet and then repeat with perhaps some occasional outing, of course. At the same time period, she would also start hearing about her relatives and her close friends dying one by one, so I can only imagine that the silence then started to become deafening. With death creeping in closer and her life being so mundane with limited mobility, I know for a fact that she often pondered about death. One night, my grandmother called me on my phone, and she was just crying, telling me that she didn't want to be alone. I quickly woke my mother up and told her to go with me to my grandmother's room. When we both got there, my grandmother was just lying on her bed, crying. We helped her to sit up and her hands were shaking, trying to wipe the tears off her face. My mom quickly helped her, and my grandmother just held onto my mother's hand, telling her that she didn't want my mother to let go. She further elaborated that she had a dream that night, in which she saw my grandfather trying to pull her up and leave elsewhere. In her dream, my grandmother struggled and she just started shouting that she didn't want to go away from her room. It was her home. And then she woke up. Upon hearing this, my mother also started crying and then she accompanied my grandmother for around half an hour or so until she eventually calmed down. I talked about this exact moment with my mother over the phone after my grandmother passed away. And she told me that she wished that she could have just held my grandmother for just a little while longer so she wouldn't be that scared. Just earlier, in the day that my grandmother died, my mother was actually celebrating her birthday. She cooked some noodle and some soup to enjoy together with my grandmother, who was at the time already very, very weak. My mother told me that my grandmother caressed her face as she wished my mother a long and happy life. Before my mother eventually told her that she loved my grandma and asked for her forgiveness for all the wrong things that she had done or said to her. My grandmother then told her that it was all okay. She had already forgiven her. That was probably the last thing that my grandmother experienced while she was still alive. Because a few hours after that exact instance, she was already not responsive and shortly afterwards, she passed away, surrounded by her children and also some of my cousins. My mother, I think, took her death the hardest and she mourned her death for a pretty long time, often finding herself lost in her thoughts whenever she had to clean up after my late grandma's room, for example. The reason why she did that was, of course, because She didn't want it to be too painful whenever she had to pass that room constantly. I would like to think that she's accepted her passing, especially after burying her in a plot of land right next to my grandpa's grave, so I really do hope that it gave my mother a rather peaceful sense of closure. I didn't actually get to see my grandmother shortly before she passed away, We did, however, talk on the phone a week before she went. She told me that she didn't think that she would be able to see me again, so she just wished me all the happiness and success in life. I knew it, right there and right then, that her time was coming. As sad as that might sound, the saddest moment that I shared with my grandma actually happened while I was caring for her in the short span of time that I spent at home before I actually moved to Germany. One night, she called me to her room telling me that she was hungry. And I've mentioned this before, but she used to really like Ritz cheese crackers and she wanted to have some. At the time, she already had trouble chewing and swallowing hard food so she told me to bring her favorite crackers alongside a glass of water. Her frail hand reached into the Tupperware, and she grabbed a cracker, and she motioned that cracker slowly into the direction of the glass of water. I then asked her what she was trying to do. She told me that she couldn't chew these cheese crackers, so she had to soften them up before being able to eat them. Her eyes seemed heavy. And she took a deep sigh before she dipped the cracker into the water. I told her I could maybe get her some milk and maybe that would taste better. And then she just told me not to do so because she was so hungry. She was okay with just water dipped cheese crackers. I remember that I started welling up right there while watching the crumbs of these crackers that she had dipped floating inside the water before eventually sinking at the bottom of the glass. All I could do at the time was to just grab a cracker for myself before also dipping it into the water, just like how she did it, and then I ate it. I told her, oh, it's not that bad, when all I could taste was just soggy crackers with a hint of cheese. She looked up to me and smiled, telling me, see, I told you so, before she took another one and ate it the same way as the previous one. In that silent and lonely room that night, my grandmother was holding on to dear life and she didn't know why. She didn't want to die either, but she also didn't know why not, I could only hope that she really found peace in her passing. I thought to myself, what I'm afraid of is perhaps not death itself, it's probably always been idleness. Idleness, I think, especially of old age, is definitely not for me. This is perhaps also why I decided to embark on this passion project, which is this podcast, so that I have something to remember life by when my mind isn't what it used to be. I've also decided a long time ago that the only way that I would like to die is via euthanasia. I would then die on my own terms and on my own time. When death approaches, I don't want to be afraid of when it comes for me. I want to embrace death with open arms acknowledging the very humbling fact that my time has eventually come to an end, and it is time to make room for others as I go back into this cycle, relinquishing this borrowed flesh back into the universe. And until then, I'll appreciate and live this life to the fullest, and I hope that whoever's listening does so too. This is Andy or Andrew, and you're listening to Edgy but like Make It Gay. If you like this cringe fest of a podcast, then I probably like you too. Where did you find this podcast? Spotify? Apple Podcast? Eh, I guess wherever you get your podcast from. Music this episode is by Whataboy and Dream Heaven. New episode coming out in two weeks. Bye bye.